it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty. And luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, sports betting season is in full force. NHL and NBA playoffs, we enjoyed those, and now football season is here. You need a sports book with integrity and longevity like BetUS. You may already know this, but BetUS has been pioneers in the sports book industry for almost three decades, thriving and paying their loyal customer base. That is BetUS.com, and they have loads of bonuses. Join now or call 800-69-BETUS. That is 800-MYBETUS. US, you can receive a 125% sign-up bonus by using the bonus code SST125. That's SST125. They have re-up and referral bonuses also. BetUS is known as America's favorite sports book for a lot of reasons. No matter what the season, BetUS has all the games, NBA, NHL, team, player props, loads of NFL and college plays, whether futures or individual game odds. You can bet UFC matches and props, PGA golf, Golf and round matchups and live betting on most sports, including golf. The online casino has hundreds of games, and the race book has all your horse tracks. They have every bet type imaginable, and the Sharp BetUS mobile platform is easy with full betting options. Follow my lead and partner with a sports betting company with integrity and longevity like I did. BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS. In the South, it's always college football season. And the king of college football reigns supreme all year long. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Hour two of the Chuck Oliver Show on a Monday. And it was a fun hour one, I know that. Appreciate my good friend Bill Shanks coming on. Bill, uh... Across a network of stations throughout Central Georgia, Macon, Warner Robins, uh, etc. Appreciate Bill coming on. Then also Wes Rucker from twenty four seven Go Vols two four seven. As Tennessee went on the road, they got a road win in the conference. That's not nothing, folks. It, it is never easy. I've talked about that. I had uh, uh, there was an event down in Mobile I did two years ago, and before uh, it was supposed to be Rodney Garner was supposed to be there I believe the defensive line coach from Auburn and he couldn't make it and so the speaker was like well could you talk about the east a little bit instead could you make up because we got like 10 minutes riding so I was like sure I said yeah that's simple you don't need any prep I was like no 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 this is simple I said Kirby's making stuff look easy and nothing's easy believe me nothing's easy no, no winning anything in the SEC isn't easy 
And I said, folks were thinking that night I was talking about if Georgia goes 8-0 in the conference, that's not easy, and it's not. Do you know what also isn't easy? And I will say Vanderbilt, for instance. If you have a Vanderbilt team that finishes 2-10, and and they went 1-7 and in the conference, one, do you know that that one, con- whoever it was, I don't know if it was Missouri or they rose up against Tennessee or they beat South Carolina or wh- I, whoever it was, Mississippi State or, or Auburn or whoever, they got their dub. They had a rise up Saturday and they got that two-win team, won a conference game. Don't we see that that's not easy as well? That that's actually less easy than Georgia going 8-0 because at least Georgia's better than everybody else. It is, well, I say nothing's easy. It's more difficult for a horrid Vanderbilt team to get its one conference win in a one and seven SEC run. It's more difficult for that Vanderbilt team to get that one win over another terrible team than it is for Georgia to actually go eight and no. Nothing is easy. And so Tennessee going on the road and getting a win in the conference. <laughs> Kentucky, you got your own issues. You had one loss, now you have three, and didn't have to happen that way. So when you are somewhat careless with the ball and offensively you rarely will run away from people, then folks are going to be in the game. And so that's what we saw happen there. Um, we got Heath Klein coming up, and so I appreciate Wes coming on. Heath Klein from 107.5 The Game. He is afternoon drive of the South Carolina Gamecocks flagship station. He'll be up in about 10 minutes. By the hour, my favorite guest to have, uh, especially after an important Bama game, which is every Saturday because it's Bama, Drew DeArmond, 97.7 in Huntsville. He'll come on and talk tied right now. Let me get you up to date quickly. Everything you need to know about college football every single day. This is CFB 365. Can I label this items you should care about? Mm, sure, Chuck. I, okay, what should I care about? Headline, Texas Tech to hire Baylor associate coach Joey McGuire. I'm supposed to care about that? Why do? Yes, because they're not hiring your coach or your assistant or your coordinator. And that's where a program like Texas Tech is most likely to go. So I try to give you stories that should matter to you. We announced when Matt Wells got fired about three weeks ago. I was like, this should matter to you because Texas Tech's a Power 5 job as of today. It's a Power 5 job, and they can hire your coordinator, and that stinks. If you're if you're Dan Lanning and Texas Tech comes calling, you're hmm, I'm bring some defense to that conference, more defense. Uh, and that didn't happen. Who is Joey McGuire? He is associate head coach at Baylor. He is a high school coach, a very successful former high school head coach, Cedar Lake, which is Dallas-ish. And so he won a bunch in high school, and he's been on staff at Baylor for about five years across a couple of different coaching staffs. And so now he's going to be the head coach at Texas Tech. You're going to see a lot more hires like this. People, person, uh, recruiting, great relationships, sexes and O's. Ah, hire, hire a good staff. You just be the CEO. You be out front. You be Mac Brown. All right, so what else should you you should care about this? Headline, UMass fires Walt Bell after three seasons. Well, almost three seasons. Walt Bell was the head coach the past 25 games. He's 2-23. and 23. And so UMass says, even we have standards, you're fired. Why should you care about this? Well, what would you do if you're the athletic director at UMass? You'd go to the SEC or ACC or a successful program and go, coordinator oh he makes he makes 1.9 really okay well how about your linebackers coach all right we'll hire him florida's already fired 
two coaches, including defensive coordinator Todd Grantham, John Hevesy, he's out as well. Um, Fuente's done. Did y'all watch? Dan, did you watch BC Virginia Tech? If you did, it's okay. It was awful. He gave up. Set, you're down 17-3 to three with five minutes left. He had a fourth and six, and he punted. What, what, am I over? What are you doing there? You're giving up. Well, yeah. I mean, that's I a white say that's flag. Good. Yeah, absolutely. It's telling your guys you can't win. Five minutes left. It wasn't fourth and 16. Fourth and six? I literally watched a guy go, we quit. That ain't good. Well, Rod Carey's done, too. Dan, quick quiz. Do you know who Rod Carey coaches? No. Okay, you're not supposed to. It's, it's not a you problem. He's the head coach at Temple. I don't know. Is this a problem? They've lost four straight games, been outscored 180 to 27. Is that bad? Yeah, it's not great. Okay, he's getting fired. That's Rod Carey, Temple head coach, ladies and gentlemen. Temple is where Rod Carey is the coach right now. Uh, you should care because Temple could hire your core. Temple may get your coordinator. They may. UMass won't. UMass will take your, your wide receivers coach and call it square. All right, uh, consider yourself up to date. We're going to break. Come back. Talk with my buddy Heath Klein. the king of college football no matter where you go with a new southern sports today app catch the best college football conversation in the south everywhere with the sst live stream and daily podcast downloaded now at the app store and the google play store now more of the best college football talk in the country it's the chuck oliver show continuing on a monday Chuck Oliver Show, nine states, 55 sticks. Dealing it out two hours a day. Appreciate everybody getting in for that. Uh, Do not misinterpret what I'm about to say. South Carolina is not good. And I will say, especially offensively, but they they have not even been, I'll say, consistently coached. But I'll give them credit. In the wins, when when the roster is kind of what it is right now, you'll recruit in the offseason and hopefully bring in some better players. But when kind of this is what you have for this season, you can at least try to be prepared and you can at least try to give yourself the best chance possible. Against Vanderbilt, and again, Vanderbilt is wretched, but against Vanderbilt, do you know a huge reason that South Carolina was in position to come back to beat Vanderbilt, which should not be the case, but it was, and they did. They had all three timeouts left. Vanderbilt got the ball with, I don't know, like two and a half minutes or three minutes left. They kicked a field goal with like 145 left. And the only reason there was any time left is because I'll give, despite everything else, first half, use a timeout to scratch your foot. I don't care. Second half, I got to have my timeouts. And they won a game because of that. Saturday against Florida, the the first 10 stories are all about Gainesville and UF and Mullen and, and all of that. I swear the first 10 are. South Carolina committed one penalty for five yards and didn't have any turnovers. I will give them credit. If a team was going to roll into Columbia, either with the flu or overlooking the, or or feeling sorry for themselves or whatever, no turnovers and one penalty for five yards, I will give them credit. I want to welcome on right now a guy that I didn't know how much we would be talking to throughout the rest of the season, but the Gamecocks won, and it was a good win at home. The crowd enjoyed it. 107.5 the game in Columbia. It is Heath Klein. Heath, how are you, brother? Hey, Chuck. What's up? 
Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, Saturday. I did not see that happening. Um, tell me when you're looking around thinking this is absolutely getting out of control. Florida, this is not going to happen. I mean, in just a few seconds with that fumble recovery before halftime maybe is when it crystallized. But this got ugly fast, and there was not one minute of that game I thought Florida would mount a comeback. Yeah, I, I thought South Carolina had a chance to make this interesting. You look at it the last three years. They've been within 14 points all the last three years. They they easily could have won two years ago. They just, for whatever reason, timing of it on the schedule, whatever you want to call it, they seem to have a knack for at least hanging around with this team. So I thought they had a chance to hang around. Florida was going to be flat coming off of Georgia. And I said on my show leading into the game, if it was a plus two in turnovers for South Carolina, and Florida has shown they will turn it over, if this is a plus two game, I think it is a competitive game in the fourth quarter. And I was wrong about that because it was not a competitive game in the fourth quarter. And uh, I could not have imagined that they were just going to uh, grab them by the throat and basically turn it into a, a domination. I mean, it is it is not even in question. This is by far the best performance, including Eastern Illinois, that Shane Beamer's team has had against anybody. It was nuts. I mean, you mentioned the penalties. They have averaged almost eight a game and, and then one penalty in this game. The offensive line could not block consistently against anybody all year and then with a few adjustments looked like a totally different group of human beings. I mean, it was wild. It really was. Among other uh, interesting notes from Saturday, I think South Carolina took the field with like 75 scholarship kids and its third-string quarterback. Um, how was the crowd? Where's the fan base? Before the game, during the game, after the game? What are they thinking is possible? Because they can have a 13th game this year. Yeah, I'll be interested to see, especially if they can handle Missouri and get bowl eligible, I would think the Auburn game would look really different. I mean, for both Troy and for Vanderbilt, even with – with winnable games in daytime situations, the crowd was just not very good. I mean, there's no other way to put it. And um, this one was better, night game in, in Florida, a little bit better, but it definitely was not a group that looked invested and interested in the season because, Chuck, it's been hard to watch. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie about well, the it. The offense has been hard. I, I'm getting paid to watch, but these people were paying to watch. And, and this offense, I mean, here, here's your stat, Chuck. They scored. They went five for five on offensive possessions against Florida in the first half. Scored on all five of them. The other five SEC games they had played combined, they had five scores in the first half. I mean, that is how completely out of nowhere this was. Let's talk about some of the guys catching passes because I don't think – I mean, I think Luke Doty is the guy we would need to talk about for any future relevance. It's not Jason Brown. Um, so let's talk about some of the guys catching passes. Jaheim Bell, he looks fun. Um, what's his blue sky, do you think? I mean, he's got plenty of potential, but Chuck, I would say don't don't rule out Brown because Brown does have another year. Yeah, he's one of these guys that has that extra year because of last year. Oh, do, you, do you think he's some and, sort of answer? I, well, he, the physical tools were never in question. I mean, if you just watch the tape of him from St. Francis, mm -hmm. he's got an arm. He can move. There are things there to like, but his practice habits when he got to South Carolina, I remember he didn't play at all in 2020. Was there a conditioning he, thing I'm remembering? Right. He showed up out of shape yeah. in the spring, okay. and, 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 and they didn't like his practice habits at all. And there's a reason Zeb Nolan got put on the field in front of him. But now, over these last eight weeks, as he has gotten a chance to learn and grow kind of how you prepare and how you perform as an SEC football player and what it's like to go against these guys. I mean, he got in briefly against Eastern Illinois, and he looked, he looked panicked. He looked way over his head. I'm certainly not going to say off of one data point here, hey, Jason Brown is the real deal. I'm not saying that. But the tools are there. And if he has made enough of a jump, if he can sustain what we saw the other night, 
they may have something here. But but having said that, uh, Jaheim Bell is a kid that's got a lot of talent. It's a tight end and a guy they've even at times lined up in kind of a pseudo H-back role. Uh, he is somebody who absolutely should be an important piece for them moving forward. Got the size, got the athleticism. He could do a lot of things. Uh, I have been slow to be convinced that Josh, and it's on me, um, Josh Van, I, I think more drops and, you know, questionable hands um, throughout his career, but he has put together a, a, a pretty solid, if this is his final go-round, um, a pretty solid season. He's had some breakout games. I know he's been injured a little bit, too. Was it groin or a hamstring? Yeah, he had a groin that really seemed to affect him, and he looked like a different guy. I, you get the feeling that maybe the bye week helped get him a lot closer to what we had seen from him earlier in the year. He was the revelation early in the year, because you're right. I mean, he he looked like he had frying pans for hands for most of his early part of his career and had just not lived up to the four-star status he came in with at all. And those first few games, he looked like a different guy. And and then he'd still been playing, but he had had clearly – been diminished in what he could do and he looked much more like that impact guy he was for the first three weeks of the season so if he plays like this chuck i i don't think he'll be looking to hang around for another year technically i guess he could but i'd be surprised if he did all right uh well the last thing offensively and bring it back to Doty because you know i was i was really disappointed that in the first couple of weeks i didn't get a chance to see 100 percent healthy and out there running the offense and being luke Doty. Uh, i didn't get to see luke Doty out there uh and when he did play was he 100 percent? because i i never i saw no. the athleticism i never really saw the running part of it no, no, he was never – they they did the best they could with him and vice versa, but he was never the guy. I mean, you go back and watch those final two games of last year when he started, he was nowhere near ready to actually play the position. But his ability to run and make things just yeah. happen with his legs was not in question, and he, he was never that guy. I mean, Chuck, I don't think I've seen a quarterback draw from this team all year. And with Zeb Nolan, that makes all the sense in the world. But with Doty, I mean, that would be one of the things you would do, especially with a struggling line. Uh, you would think you would, would get him out of the pocket some, and that sometimes you would just call that occasional design quarterback draw. We, we didn't see it. I mean, he was clearly not the same guy. I don't think that they are sold on him as a long-term answer, but they also know they have haven't gotten a chance to see him with his full set of tools yet. They'll be in the transfer market in the offseason unless Jason Brown blows them away over the next three games and they think, okay, that's our starter. They definitely, before this past game, were expecting to be in the transfer market for a quarterback. What level of quarterback, whether it's more the steady veteran or whether you're going after somebody who could be your starter, that may be determined in part by what Brown shows them over the next couple of games. Man, it has never been more difficult. You just said, yeah, jumping into the portal, and you'll be watching so many of – every coach, Heath, watching so many of his own players jump into the portal as well. Uh, man, it is, it is reduced to stomping out fires. There ain't no doubt about it. Uh, appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you for the input. It's on, Chuck. All right, Heath Klein, 107.5 The Game. That's what it is. He's going to the portal. And, and you know, I wanted to ask about – I saw an interview. Interview. I saw Brett Bielema talking uh, after his game Saturday. I wanted to ask Heath about you know in-state recruiting and all that, but it just doesn't apply nearly as much. Brett Bielema immediately, like after the game, he's walking off and they got to win. Brett Bielema's talking about yeah, you know, in the off season and we'll go to the portal and we'll do. It. I'm like, it's not free agency, man. Oh, except it kind of is. Um, but the difference is that when you, at least when you sign a free agent, you bring somebody in. Like four weeks into the season, you know what doesn't happen in the NFL? A free agent looks around and says, yeah, I don't like this anymore. I'm going to go play for the Cowboys. 
And that happens in college football. I am your free agent. I'm here to be your, be your running back. Yeah, I'm not having much fun. I'm going to go play for Northwestern. Four weeks, five weeks, six weeks into the season. That is not free agency. And I have talked about that. Like Dan Mullen, part of what he's dealing with is he saw a big old grown man, 22-year-old defensive tackles. I'll take three. It's supposed to just be good. It's supposed to just be the benefit. It's not. I've told you, raggedy football is what has become normal around the sport. And um, for coaches like Shane Beamer, you look around, you go, you want a high school kid? You want a 21-year-old? I understand the temptation, but it is still a work in progress. Always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. Alabama 20, LSU 14. And just bottom line value, you played a division opponent. That's a huge rivalry game, and you won. Now, the fact that Ed's already on his way out the door, um, that you were at home, that you had some issues that um, you just got work to do. You got to get stuff resolved depending on what you want to achieve this year. Uh, but Alabama 20, LSU 14. Uh, before we get into the Bama talk, I do want to say one thing about Coach O and his approach. He was throwing dice all night, man. He was uber aggressive and he was taking chances and it paid off. So it's very difficult to say, you know, the guy had like a dozen pirate calls just uh, doesn't make a whole lot of sense but by golly i'm doing it got about a dozen of those it's difficult to say when a guy hits like nine or ten of them to look at one and go hey you shouldn't have made that call i gotta say fourth and goal from the what eight or seven whatever it was that wasn't fourth and one fourth and two and it wasn't fourth and goal from the one or two they were out near the 10 yard line. It just it was it was weird at the end of that game. I didn't understand that. But 20 to 14, they get the win. Want to welcome on now, a good friend of mine. 977 the zone in Huntsville. When it's time to talk Bama, it's time to talk to Drew DeArm and Drew, amigo, how are you today? Good, Chuck. How are you? Uh, I'm okay. Uh, Alabama, 26 rushing attempts, 18 feet. Um, sure. let's talk about that. Yeah, I mean, totally a, a stunning result, uh, considering that LSU was so depleted defensively. Certainly, it didn't help Alabama that they had to shuffle the offensive line in the middle of the first quarter when Darian Dalper went out with the ankle, and they shifted Chris Owens from right tackle to center, and then we saw Damian George for the first time as far as uh, a, a, you know a, a larger sample size body of work, nearly a full game under his belt. Actually, thought he acquitted himself well. But certainly the middle of that offensive line did not play well, did not grade well. And uh, certainly you mentioned it as I was coming on. Coach O and his staff, Durante Jones and those guys, they emptied the holster. They they threw everything at Alabama. Uh, The last call was a zero blitz that led to the strip sack of Bryce Young. Coach O said after the game that they had not done that all year. And certainly, much like against Texas A&M, Alabama really struggled against the blitz on Saturday night, Chuck. Yeah, and when Drew says uh, cover zero, folks, that's you don't have anybody deep. It's man for however many receivers, and everybody who's not covering up a receiver, you get after the quarterback. Um, so, again, Alabama gets the win. but um, and, and I was not expecting it to be scoreboard-wise as close as it was. 
I have been looking at bigger picture items from Alabama and what's ahead. I think at this point there's value in saying what is Alabama after nine games? And tell me if you think this is wrong because we've seen Robinson have some great Saturdays. But here's where I think Alabama is. If they can hit big plays downfield in the passing game, they can put up a big number. And and that's kind of what this offense is. I think Brian Robinson is a really, really tough, really good back. He's not a great back by any stretch. And that this is pretty much drop Bryce back and see if he can hit somebody. Um, is that oversimplifying? No, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I've said all year about I like Brian Robinson. He took his time. He, he waited his turn. But he's basically a poor man's Glenn Coffey. Uh, I think he's Glenn without the breakaway speed. Of course, in Brian's defense, I don't think his offensive line was as good as the no. one I, you know that uh, in 2008 with an Andre Smith and Mike Johnson, guys like that, uh, that were really good players. And Antoine Caldwell in the middle of that O line. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, I think that, that if you can take away the run and make Alabama one-dimensional, I do think they struggle a little bit. Jamison Williams is really the only guy, and you saw it Saturday, Chuck, that can make big plays. He had 10 catches, 160 yards, that 58-yard TD for the last score for Alabama. He's the only game-changer uh, that, that has made big plays all year and stretched the field. He's averaging 19.3 yards per catch. Now, John Mechie's been super solid. Uh, but he's only averaging about 11 yards per catch. And the, the one thing that's disappeared from this offense, Chuck, that I thought was going to be part of the identity of the offense is the tight end. Uh, Cameron Latou had one catch. He dropped the first pass of the game, which I think kind of set the tone. Jaleel Billingsley, I said coming out of the bye week, I told some people, yeah. we're going to see if he's part of the plan going forward or if he's going to be left behind for the rest of the season. He played some in the first half, no targets for him, and really has done nothing since the old Miss game. So, really, Alabama's searching, I think, still. And, you know, that was this was the first game we really saw Alabama's running game get completely shut down. Bryce Young actually played well. Two touchdowns, no picks. Yep. He did have the fumble late. Two for 302 yards. But they have to find some semblance of balance. And I was a little surprised because you know how it is with running backs, Chuck. You've been around the game a long time. Sometimes a guy doesn't have it in a game. I thought the few touches Roy Dell Williams had, he showed some quickness, some speed, some burst that maybe Brian Robinson didn't have on Saturday. I thought he should have seen some more touches in the game, and I was a little surprised he didn't play more. Maybe go to the hot hand there. Let's bounce out of the perimeter. You mentioned John Mechie a little bit and how he's having a really fine season. Um, but here's why everybody knows how physical he is, and I know his speed. Um, why hasn't it been more downfield, more explosive for Mechie? Well, I mean, I think it's a little bit different for him with who he's matched up with in, as far as defensively, as far as the corners and yeah. the coverage he's seeing. Because last year, you had to worry about Devontae Smith. He won the Heisman. You had to worry about Jalen Waddle before he got injured. Uh, he's a first-round draft choice. And then you had Slade Bolden, who made plays. You also had Jaleel Billingsley, who played at a higher level last year. So, And you had a quarterback in Mac Jones, who... Uh, was supremely accurate, uh, especially with the deep ball. And I think that's one area of deep ball accuracy where Bryce Young has struggled. Now, he's hit some deep balls. He just hasn't hit them as consistently uh, as uh, Mac Jones. That's probably the one small thing you could say about Bryce Young. But I will say his his mobility has saved Alabama. It did yesterday, or excuse me, Saturday, pardon me. Uh, he had the two longest rushes of the game, 12 and 15 yards. Mm -hmm. And so his legs and mobility and ability 
ability to get away from the rush has has saved Alabama, I think, and, and, and allowed them to win the LSU game and probably, uh, you know, and, and comfortably win some others because, including Tennessee, because if he wasn't able, if he didn't have the ability to escape, I think Alabama would have. Uh, this offensive line has struggled in pass protection more than run blocking. It was the first game we saw, really, if you go back and look at it, where Alabama really, really struggled to get anything going running the football. So I would say this. I would say Bryce Young, far and away the MVP of this offense, and that his mobility, despite his his inability at times to hit the deep ball, his mobility has saved Alabama. And right now, I'm going to be really fascinated to see coming off of this uh, performance against LSU. It's really the first poor offensive performance we've seen of them as a unit and how they react because this is an LSU team that was desperate. They had nothing to lose. They certainly played their best game of the season, though they still lost. But if you're Alabama, you've got big games coming up. Certainly New Mexico State, we know what the outcome of that game is going to be. Uh, but you've got Arkansas and Auburn coming up, one at home, one on the road. And we've seen Arkansas. They've already knocked off that same Texas A&M team. Auburn did not look good offensively this past Saturday, but has certainly looked improved up until they ran into A&M. Yep. And we all know how tough it is to play in Jordan-Hare. I want you to just give us another quick comment here about Bryce Young because I think, Drew, you know, maybe I was talking to you. I was talking to somebody a couple of weeks back going, doesn't the right side of the line remind you how insanely unusual a guy like Jonah Williams is? Like as a freshman, yeah, you go play right tackle, maybe as good a right tackle there is in the conference. We thought that that was normal. What Bryce Young is doing right now, he's the one – he's a redshirt freshman in the SEC, and we're like, oh, yeah, that's squared away. What he's doing is insanely difficult to do. It is because he doesn't have a great offensive line in front of him. And this line is what it is, Chuck. It's not going to get that much better. I mean, it's not a dominant group. Uh, you know, certainly Chris Owens, I still think, is, uh, is the weakest link. And it's not trying to just single him out. But the problem, but no. the issue is you can go back and look. When he was the center to start the 2019 season, he lost his job to Landon Dickerson. Last year, he was a guy that just came in and subbed. He subbed for uh, Evan Neal when he was out with COVID at right tackle. Then when Landon Dickerson suffered the knee injury, he played center. And he played pretty well, but he was surrounded by studs. He was surrounded by, uh, you know, guys that are in the National Football League, Two first-round tackles. Evan Neal will be one. He was the right tackle. And I think it allowed Emil Echior to play at a higher level at right guard. And then you had, of course, uh, Alex Leatherwood at left tackle. And he was a tremendous football player as well uh, and playing in the National Football League. So it was, it was an offensive line that was extremely talented, uh, that was extremely well-rounded. And again, Alabama, when you, even programs like the Tide who recruit at the highest level, sometimes they have to reload. Uh, and when they do, sometimes guys are not, you, you see a drop in performance. It's inevitable. And I mean, even Alabama, and we see Clemson this year. Clemson has been such a consistent program. But after a while, some of the attrition catches up to you. And I think in some cases, coaching turnover and especially personnel has caught up with Alabama on the offensive line. Okay, um, last thing, and like I don't pretend you're Will Anderson's mama or daddy or his agent or somebody. Um, first of all, how how big has he gotten? And secondly, good lord, how do you block him? I mean, honestly, I'm looking for an angle here. That kid is he is a game wrecker. He is as good an, an edge guy as I have seen at Alabama. I don't even know how many years. He is he he is a beast. He really is. I mean, you know, this 
this conversation was going on inside the press box Saturday night at halftime. Uh, you know, and he had eight tackles at halftime, Chuck, one and a half tackles for loss and four, uh, excuse me, one and a half sacks and four tackles for loss. And he ended up with 12 total tackles in the game and was just a wrecking ball. Linemen don't get that number. Right. He And he's an outside backer and he's going sideline to sideline. Mm-hmm. And he was, once again, SEC Defensive Player of the Week. The comparisons to Derek Thomas are inevitable. I, I said this. I, Derek is still the greatest pass rusher I've ever seen in college football history. I don't think there'll be another one. But what I will say for Will is he's the best all-around defender I think I've probably ever seen at Alabama. Wow. What I mean by that is Derek played every down, but the thing with Will is he's every bit as good against the run as he is as a pass rusher. And he's probably the second best pass rusher I've ever seen to Derek Thomas. He's so explosive. Uh, I would I would shudder to think Chuck, as good as this Alabama program has been and what Nick Saban has done, you know, having more losses uh, or, excuse me, more first-round draft picks than losses since two, since he's been at Alabama and especially since 2008. But this year's Alabama team, without Bryce Young and without Will Anderson, would probably be a four-loss at least football team, uh, you know, at this point in time or at least by the end of the season. Because I know they still have talent, but these two guys mean that much. And Will Anderson Anderson's still wearing a knee brace. So think about that. So he is just an unbelievable talent. Alabama has never had someone, Chuck, go number one overall in the NFL draft. But I I will say this. I don't think there's a better defensive player, including Jordan Davis in college football, as good as he is. I still think Will Anderson's the best in the country. And if he stays on this trajectory and keeps getting better and stays healthy, I don't see how he's not the number one overall pick in the NFL draft a year from now. All right. Well, first of all, how is he two fifty now? Yeah, he's, he's he doesn't look it, but he's around. He's about two hundred and fifty pounds. Wow. Yes, sir. Uh, secondly, I'm gonna have to get your top five because I mean, Minka, you didn't even mention him, and so I, I'm I'm gonna want your top five next time I have you on. Your top five Alabama defenders that you've seen personally. And I, Minka's up there. He's the, he's the best DB of the Saban era. No, you that. already disrespected him, Drew. Don't try to fix it now. <laughs> it's all right, brother. We'll talk to you soon, man. All right. Thanks, Chuck. All right, uh, Drew DeArmond from 97.7. Um, I'm I'm lucky enough that I am of an age. I got to watch Derek. I got to see Derek Thomas in person, actually. And um, I didn't see the hit. And if you you Google the hit, you'll see it. Um, he just was an unbelievable ball player. And his sack total, when you look at, for instance, his, his best season at Bama, you're going to think that's a career total. It's not. It's one season. Uh, so saying that somebody is maybe the second best pass rusher that he's seen in Alabama behind Derek Thomas, that's not nothing, man. So anyway, I appreciate him coming on. But they've got after Will Anderson, uh, who the other day just was he was doing what he wanted. And after Will Anderson, there are there's supposed to be a running buddy. There's supposed to be a book in. There's supposed to be you know another game wrecker, and there's just not 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 right now. Offensive line-wise, they've got work to do. Defensively, they still have the opportunity just to have somebody step up and go from being really good and in the right place. And I mean, that's not what we describe Alabama players as. It's supposed to be like Minka. It's supposed to be like uh, Henry Toto playing at his highest level. That's what it's supposed to be. All right, we're going to break. Wrap up next.
Now back to the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. I was proud to uh, walk out of here with them as I was to walk in here with them. And um, they fought for 60 minutes. And to beat a team that uh, is as talented as Ole Miss is, you can't make those mistakes. And, and um, you know, we certainly made some. I probably should have uh, run the ball. Uh, more in the first half because we really struggled to to protect those uh, Malik against those defensive ends. Hugh Freeze, head coach of the Liberty Flames, and it wasn't. It never materialized. It was supposed to be Malik Willis and Matt Corral providing a shootout. Uh, two of the the most capable quarterbacks in Division One, and they're playing each other in Oxford, and it's just going to be a ball game. And it did not happen. Um, Matt Corral threw a touchdown pass, and his team won. Okay, that's what I care about. But I know, oh, offense, and how how sparkly was it? How shiny? He threw a touchdown pass, and he had a, he had a, a very good day. Uh, Malik Willis, not as much. Uh, no scores. He ran for a, a touchdown, but no scores through the air and three picks. So there's your afternoon from Malik Willis, and uh, kind of landed with a thud. Not his season, and not Liberty season, but that thing just never really got together. In fact, at halftime, it's twenty four zip. Ole Miss and it was a in fact Ely if you're watching the ball game I think it was the second play of the game man he turned into a track meet and was gone which was awesome to see because Jerry Neely is about as good a two-way player as you're going to find in the SEC or anywhere in America actually and he certainly looked it on Saturday uh catching the ball and then also ripping off that big one and winding up over 100 yards for the day so the Ole Miss offense kind of hummed right along it was quote only 27 points but uh, it was a really strong defensive performance against, um, I'll say, an elite quarterback. And and it's uh, level of competition, whatever. I'm looking for a positive here as Ole Miss is now 7-2 and two and headed down the stretch and still trying to position themselves for the best January 1st uh, bowl, perhaps. That's what they're wanting. Um, Atlanta's not really a thing that's going to happen. So uh, they're looking for the best bowl possible. And that was Hugh Freeze and Liberty on Saturday. Dan, how are you? Man, I'm good. Um, you know, the other part that I think we're looking at this offseason with coaching changes is a coach who, for the most part, has been pretty fortunate about not having to make changes, at least voluntarily, like we talked about earlier, and that's Kirby Smart. Aside from Sam Pittman, I can't really point to anybody that they have said goodbye to in Athens that they probably initially or eventually, excuse me, weren't as going to say, hey, this just isn't working out for Jim Chaney, for example. You had almost your entire offense, even guys who knew that probably they shouldn't be leaving early for the NFL, decide to say, yeah, another year in this isn't going to do me any good. I'm much better off just going ahead and testing the waters. Maybe I'm a late pick. Maybe I'm an undrafted free agent. But I believe in myself and what maybe a good scheme can do for my abilities, and I'll take it from there. And then the same thing with James Coley, who they really pretty much just had as a placeholder for that offense, and he was completely in over his head in terms of calling an offense and being able to lead an offense and eventually Kirby said yeah can't keep him around either but that's going to change this offseason because I do think there are going to be numerous coaches on his staff that are going to have their names tied to other jobs I think number one I think Dan Landing for what he has shown with that defense and really kind of the renaissance of defense now and also two ADs out there are going to look at what he's doing and for the guy that he's coaching with and say hmm we could replicate that here He's got enthusiasm for recruiting. He's got just overall great energy, and he's somebody that can coach up some great defense. 
we saw another guy leave a really good program and go somewhere else and be able to revitalize their program and make it into what we want. And that is something that I think that Dan Lanning can probably check those boxes for another program. Another guy as well that I think is going to get some serious calls, and he might even get a call from it within the division. I think Glenn Schumann's going to get some serious calls. I want people to know something about Glenn Schumann that it's not only what got him into the job at such a young age. You Google him and look him up. I believe now he just turned 31. He's a really young guy. When he first got the job, people were looking at it and saying, a mid-20s coach? Like, Coach, I I get it. He was within the program there at Alabama, but is he really ready for this job? Chuck, not only has he shown that he's ready for this job, he's shown that he's an immensely great recruiter, and also, too, he's a fantastic developer of talent. Where is the strength of your defense, and where is your defense at its best? It's up the middle. It is at the inside linebacker positions. He's not only going to have one guy who went on to the NFL as somebody who was a first-round pick. Chuck, he might have two in so many years if N'Kobe Dean is somebody that, pro- that, that projects to be that type of player going to the next level. He is somebody that I think that if you're Dan Mullen, you could definitely do a lot worse than to look at a guy like him and say, hey, why don't you come down here and lead our defense and help us jump up our recruiting and be able to bring better players into this program? I think that's another one. I think that finally the bell calls for Del McGee. I think that somebody finally says, hey, maybe not necessarily somebody that we know about their play calling ability or anything of the such, but somebody that we can give more responsibility to and be able to have them in our program and be able to maybe have them develop into said coach on the field. But everything else we know about him, he is somebody that is an absolute asset to their program. I'm telling you right now, we've seen Nick Saban deal with it for years. We've seen other coaches deal with it as well. Kirby Smart, I think more of the involuntary uh, changes to his coaching staff are going to be made this offseason. I wonder about uh, a guy like Del McGee. I've talked about this uh, before, about a month ago. I remember bringing him up for some reason that Auburn has tried to lure him back home, but as an assistant coach a couple of times. Um, one of the issues when you get to the level that, well, first of all, Dell's happy and he's paid in Athens and he's winning. So if you're successful, you're happy and you're getting paid. Okay. We're checking a lot of the important boxes, but once you become a head coach, your ability to recruit immediately gets curtailed. You get clipped a little bit because you have, you have way more limitations than for instance, any of the assistant coaches. Um, so that sometimes holds back great recruiters from getting that top job. But I'm like, nah, just set the tone, man. You can recognize alphas in the hiring process. So replace yourself on the recruiting trail. So that's going to happen. Um, that is for sure. All right. Wraps it up on a Monday, folks. David, a plus job. Dan, good job. Appreciate you coming in as well. Everybody listening throughout the network. 22 hours. It's all I need, folks. Recharge the batteries. Be back this time tomorrow. More college football conversation here on the Chuck Oliver Show. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.